Hi. Hi. Now, this podcast, I think, <laughs> knowing a little bit about what we're going to be talking about, I yeah. think this is basically a community service podcast what? for single chatters. Because mm. by the time you've heard what we're going to talk about, you are going to be so happy to not be dating, to not be out there in the field. You are going to be so happy to be alone. And that's our gift to you today. Because we've been watching, well, I've been oh, watching yeah. Dirty John and Crab's backed it up with a Ted Bundy chaser. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. I don't know if Ted Bundy is really the guy who makes you feel good about being single. No, don't you think you would? Because, you'd, I mean, you don't want to be out there dating because you might be going out with oh, Ted yeah. Bundy. That's, yeah, that's point, my point. I guess. Or yeah. Dirty John. Okay. Okay, so Dirty John, can we start with that? Yeah, we can. Okay, Dirty John um, is a, a podcast that the LA Times did and it's been turned into a Netflix series starring Connie Britton, oh, who we both love. Get out of town. Get what? out of there town. Actually a- if you've been missing Connie Britton's hair, it's oh, back. Oh, God. Is it in its full swishiness? It's just divine as ever and I love Connie Britton because she hasn't done anything to her face. I she love her. She looks fantastic. And um, Eric Banner. Is Dirty John, oh, and he's really great wow. too. Wow. Okay, so you just blew my mind because I just thought when you put down on your filthy scribbled piece of paper, Dirty John, I just thought, oh, well done, Sales. You finally got round <laughs> to that podcast that I was talking about like a no, year ago. No. And actually you've got breaking news. I have. Um, so it is, for people that don't know, it was a, it's a true story about a uh, woman who is, I guess, mid-50s. She's sort of been married three times. She's still sort of looking for love. In uh, all the wrong places. She starts dating this guy, John, who's really handsome. Says and he's a doctor, doesn't tells he? Tells he's a doctor. Her constantly kids, getting around in scrubs. Constantly walking around in scrubs. His, her kids don't really like him or trust yeah. him. She secretly marries him. I'm not telling you anything that's not exposed in the first sort of one and a half episodes. Um, and then... So it's we, a series. It's a series. It's not a movie, yeah. it's a series. It's a series. And we start learning mm. some backstory about John and it sort of goes from there, chaos ensues. Um it is very true structurally to the podcast. If you liked the podcast, right. you probably like it. Remember with the podcast, each episode sort of explored a bit of a different facet of yep. the story. So there's one where they go and they find John's first wife and yeah. what his life was like. And then there's one where they explore the fact that the woman's sister was murdered by her husband and how the mother yep. responded to that yep. and how that's influenced this woman's attitude yep. towards John. That's one episode. So I've kept sort of very true to it. But I think they've done a really good job of bringing it to life. My friend that I was watching it with hadn't seen, uh, hadn't listened to the podcast right. and she was really hooked by it and constantly going, oh, God, what's going to happen? Like, So I think it's actually, um, yeah, it's good. But, it's, oh, but good. it's pretty chilling about online dating and uh, just the t- sort of plus, psychos plus that are out there. Connie Britton, which is just Connie Britton, what's just a, an ornament to any project. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ah, well, moving on to Ted Bundy. <laughs> God. So, um, so there's this new Netflix series on Ted Bundy. It's a um, four-part doco, and it's based. Now, I've read a few things about Ted Bundy because you know I do occasionally lapse into a true crime sort of thing. Yeah. And I read the book called the I think it's called The Stranger Beside Me by I think Anne Rule. I read okay. it like probably 10, 15 years ago. I watched um, a telly movie maybe twenty five years sure, ago starring okay. Mark Harmon. So you Ted remember? Bundy. Really? That's like pretty bad casting. <laughs> Good luck, really? Kathy, tracking that one down. <laughs> hey, if you want to check out our website, keep listening to the end of the podcast because now we put a little blurb on the end. That's oh, how we professional do. we are. Wow, yeah. Carry on. Zing Um So I think I did read – and there's a there's the Ted Bundy story. I mean, he's like 
the most famous serial killer in America, surely. Like the sort of mm. handsome baby-faced yeah. killer. He murdered dozens and dozens of, of women um, in Seattle and um, some, and later in Utah. Just anyway, very chilling. Um, but he uh, used to work on a um, kind of phone crisis line, phone counselling line, um, sitting next to this woman, Anne Rule. And as um, the hunt progressed for this man called Ted driving a um, VW Beetle who'd been approaching and abducting women, um, she was reading about the investigation while sitting next to this guy and working with him. Did she, so, did she tweak? Well, she did in the end, yeah. And then she went back and um, wrote a book about it. I mean, it's quite an amazing book and you sort of think – God, I, the, the the amount of weird coincidences um, in this monster's life story is just quite um, extraordinary. There is a story um, apparently, um, and I don't know if this is true. Kathy, would you check that? Thank you. But um, apparently that um, there's all these people who had narrow escapes from Ted Bundy because he used to pootle around in his um, sort of fawn-coloured VW Beetle and just um, because he was really handsome, right. get off a chick's lifts home right. and um, and then he'd taken off all the handles from the inside of the oh door. Oh, my God. Um, anyway, um, apparently Debbie Harry one night was well before she was famous, on her way home from some gig, had no money to get home and accepted a lift from this guy in a fawn-coloured VW Beetle, got in and – panicked when she realised that no handles oh and somehow got out of the car and only years later realised, oh, it was Ted Bundy. crap, I got in the car with Ted Bundy. Anyway. I mean, it's been back just to remind me that in the last podcast where I was like, have you ever met anyone that you liked and you trusted and stuff and they turned out to be psycho? Imagine that Anne Rule woman like, yeah, I used to sit next to Ted Bundy. So this um, this documentary is actually, look, it's, it's highly disturbing, of course, because you sort of get a sense of just the scale of this man. Given we know so much about Ted Bundy, like what's new okay. about it? So um, it's based around recorded interviews that a journalist did um, with Bundy. After his conviction, this journalist visit and his name escapes me, I'm sorry, I'm sure he's very famous, he's elderly now, um, went in and um, interviewed Bundy, who agreed to be interviewed. But then after a few sessions, Bundy wasn't really, you know, he he wasn't confessing, he wasn't admitting to anything. He was sort of talking in circles about his life. but And he clearly was, you know, wanted to be famous and wanted to be a superstar and had this sort of really messed up sense of his own significance. But this journo couldn't get him to a talk about any of the things that he'd done and he wasn't really prepared to admit it. So then at some point this journo said to him, oh, look, so maybe if we talk about this in a different way, you could maybe talk just hypothetically about what you think might be going on in the mind of a person who could do this these things. And so once he made it hypothetical and, you know, the kind of material that wouldn't really stand up in court, um, Bundy just goes absolutely off into all of this detail and kind of psychoanalysis. It's um, So the, the recordings are quite chilling. But the amazing thing that the people making the doco have done is they obviously don't have footage of Bundy right. saying these things. It's all audio tapes right. and not a great quality either. They're kind of like early Chapter 10 looks 3 quality um, <laughs> and they're very old and scratchy. Um, so what they've done is built this sort of like 
multi-layered series of flickering images. They've got some sort of news footage, um, but mostly, or it seems like in my brain it's mostly, they've got these sort of um, quite beautiful images from the era and tiny little grabs of, you know, kids swinging on swings or um, uh, teenagers playing jukeboxes. I mean, all from the time. So it completely evokes the time. Mm. And then there's news reporting about the girls going missing and there's interviews with their relatives and with police officers. And so the whole thing achieves this sense of flickering horror. It's It's quite an amazing way technique of making up for the fact that you don't have contemporaneous footage a lot of the time. Is it a series as well or is it? Um, Yeah, four part, four one-hour episodes. And it is – I find myself really drawn into it. Um, It is horrible and unnerving and spooky as hell to watch. But it's also just really impressive from the way that they use all this sort of like a kaleidoscope of images – to just evoke this sense of what America was like at that time and how uh, the crimes of Bundy really took advantage of the social change that was happening because, you know, it was this sort of feminist wave that was giving women this confidence to get out and, you know, walk the streets alone and do all of that. I mean, he was really... um, capitalising on that in this really sick way. Yeah, so it's kind of like a portrait of a time and also of this incredible, like, evil opportunist. Is it – I've seen it sitting there and I'm sort of intrigued by it but I also feel a bit like, oh, God, do I want to immerse in that? Yeah. Well, I mean, fair enough too. Is it – so it is fairly – is it a bit hard to take or Um, is it – yeah, look, I mean, you can't ever – you can't see the interviews with all of these families and see this sort of train of photographs that are often – you know when sometimes if, if someone, um, particularly in that era before the era of Instagram and people possessing a thousand million photographs of themselves by way of, mm. you know, CCTV or selfies or whatever, yeah. I mean – in that time, people didn't have many photographs. So no. the photographs of the victims are quite iconic. You know, like you recognize right. those photographs because maybe this particular girl who was killed, there was only one ever photograph ever released to yeah. police or media. So that photo then takes on this. I mean, it's it's like an icon or something. I, I don't want to go into it because it's currently in the courts, but the Claremont serial killer case is the same yeah. where there's those three women and yeah. it's the photos yeah. that you just see the same photo um, all the time. And those cases often, like the Bundy case and the Claremont one, they're very seared into your consciousness as of a course. woman because they're just so chilling. And they put, they put a little timestamp on who you were and how old you were mm. um, when that happened. I mean, like if you – I mean, I'm 46 and I grew up in South Australia um, in the 70s and 80s and anyone that I talk to that's my age and grew up in Adelaide will be absolutely horrified by the name Louise Bell because she was a five-year-old girl who was taken from her bedroom and never found – and. That was just same for the, Queensland. Sean Kingy, anyone from Queensland of my right. age will know the name Sean Kingy. Yeah. Right. So you could almost run a test on where people were, just to see um, where people grew up, just by mentioning a name and seeing if they, you know, yeah. start to freak out. Like, yeah, this is very 
deep down elemental stuff. And mm. you get a sense from this documentary too about particularly around Seattle where there was a string of disappearances that these women were like young women were just, you know, absolutely terrified. Um Mm. Horrendous. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you, just because you've raised yes. it about four times, I'm dying to know what? what you want to say. You've said to me about four times, I really want to talk about Ryan Adams. Uh, yeah, okay, I do. Where? So Ryan Adams um, is a performer, he's a singer. He used to be in a band called Whiskey Town. He's released a bunch of albums and I just really have always loved his music, right? So his big hit albums were um, one called Gold and one called Heartbreaker He's got a song called New York, New York, which is very, very successful. Anyway. Let me guess, he didn't like your carrot cake and you're down on it? He hated my carrot cake. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I've been to see him live a bunch of times and he is kind of like, he's a bit alt country but says that he hates the country and anyway, like he's kind of fun. He's uh, a great songwriter Um, and so sometimes when everybody's out the door and I'm at home alone for a couple of hours and I'm just like doing housework or something, I will turn up his music really loud because it just makes me – it gives me a lot of pleasure and because I've liked it for a long time, it's really comfortable to listen to. Right. Anyway, so the New York Times um, has just published a really, really long investigative piece about what an absolute cad he is. So he's got his own record label and the New York Times reports that he um, has used the record label to kind of reach out to young women who are talented musicians and say, hey, you know, um, we'll, we'll cut a record, I'll produce a record for you, you can open on my forthcoming tour or whatever. And um, a bunch of them have reported that what happens next is that he then starts like pressuring them for sex or whatever. Um, they get into a relationship and then he becomes incredibly possessive. And then if it doesn't work out, which is it seems regularly not to do, then then it's kind of like, well, you can forget about that album, mm-hmm. you know, nastiness, all sorts. Like, and there's a horrible example in the in the Times piece, which is about him setting up contacts through social media with this very young girl who was about 14 and a talented bass player and then he started sort of sending – I mean, the New York Times has got all of these messages, you know, um, sexting sort of stuff and, you know, and basically oh. this girl got completely freaked out and has never played the guitar again. Like, oh, and so, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And I just – I mean, we've had this conversation before about like – Men who we've admired, you know, like Louis C.K., you know, and you just – and they turn out to have done this stuff and I don't know, like I I just – I was so angry about it partly because – I mean I'm angry whenever I hear about this stuff but I just thought, you know, you used to play in my house when I was Mm. at my most relaxed and now I know you're a jerk and that's just – It feels like such a violation of your – Yeah. And it's so stupid because I'm just an idiot who bought the albums or whatever and, you know, spent a bit of money seeing him live. But I always liked how open he was on social media and all this stuff and that, oh, right, so you were using it to crack on to 14 But it, may, it, it also, as a fan, it makes you feel foolish. It, it does, ma- And yeah. it makes you feel like you've been duped yeah. and that's because you have been duped yeah. because the person as they're presenting is not what they're like. But then, does an artist have to be, like, have to have a solid gold you know, um, no, identity that they have to they, be. I mean, they don't have to be perfect, but it'd be nice if you weren't 
effing cracking well, that's 14 right. year well, olds. So Ryan Adams um, responded to this lengthy article by saying, oh, you know, like I'm just um, – I've always just tried to bring people happiness through my music and, you know, I'm very far from being perfect but if I've ever caused anybody pain, you know, it was like the ultimate non-apology apology. Yeah, like, that's right. Oh, you know, this um, – If you're upset that, about yeah. it, I'm sorry if you're upset. Yeah. Um, and, and if you um, – Oh, you know, there's a lot of things that are inaccurate in that article, you know, but I've never pl- claimed to be perfect. And I, some guy replied to him saying, dude, your idea of perfect is not in the same universe as my – like, you know, oh, you don't have to be perfect. Just try not to be a total ass. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm super angry about it and I just – I don't know. I, just, I, I completely get that feeling because that's how I feel about Louis C.K. And I yeah. feel like I'd like to interview Louis C.K. Or that wouldn't be an interview. It would be me saying to Louis C.K., I am really mad at you yeah. and you have let me down. Like I feel personally, yeah. you know, aggrieved by that. You know, it's interesting with Louis C.K. because I do, you know, I, one of the complicated things with all these issues is, you know, if Louis C.K. had robbed a bank, he would maybe be in prison for five years and then he'd come back and he'd be able to do stand-up comedy. The penalty yeah. in this sort of, you know, being a sleazebag thing is sort of at the moment and for some people it looks like life isn't, is the sentence, isn't right? He back doing stand-up though? He did, but it was very controversial yeah. and the comedy club that was involved got a lot of flack over it. Anyway, I went and watched um, <laughs> Netflix or somebody had a Louis C.K. stand-up special and I thought, no. okay, I'm going to just watch it and see – can I actually still just watch and enjoy Louis C.K. separate to all of that stuff? And the answer for me is no, I cannot. Mm. I, I just am looking at him just thinking, you've pissed me off. Well, so. it's difficult. If you, if you, I mean, if, I mean, we've discussed this before, but I mean, if your selling point is that you are incredibly candid, warts and all about your own flaws and, and then there's this massive thing that you're covering up. You just it kind of especially like in Louis C.K.'s case, it was just so puerile as well. It wouldn't have been puerile for the women involved. It would have been disturbing. But just as an outsider, you look at it and just go, "What?" Also, do you know what? I, do you know what else it is? I've just it just occurred to me. It's also because it is so unoriginal. Oh, yes. It is so incredibly mundane and you just think that's it's that like, is actually part of the disappointment because I just think I thought that you were such an interesting creative artist. Yeah. And now wow. Yeah, just wow, so that loser. is your you, you know, know, like, really? Ryan Adams as well. I was wondering if I didn't realise, I didn't see that New York Times piece. Um, all, all I saw was a tweet and I wondered if it was an urban myth, but now that you've exposed him as such a jerk, it's yeah. probably true that he was playing a concert and somebody in oh. the in the room yelled out, play Summer of 69, which is, of course, a massive Brian Adams hit. <laughs> Ryan Adams stopped the show, made security get the person who'd yelled it out and frog marched them out of there and wouldn't play again until the person had left the premises. That's happened in Australia. I think oh. he's done it more than once, actually which makes me think, yeah, that's a bit of a stunt, but probably funny. But- I wonder if Brian Adams is going to get a bit of blowback from this, like, you know, <laughs> I read the New York Times. I'll never listen to Summer of 69 yeah. again. But don't you think for Ryan Adams, like, wouldn't it be funny if someone yelled that out to, like, have a bit of a joke and play a bar of it or something? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. just take yourself a bit less seriously, yeah. mate. Anyway. Um, right, what else? Uh, I went to see the film The Front Runner, which mm. is starring Hugh Jackman as Gary Hart. Oh. Oh, okay. I think you would really like it. I would really like yeah. it. Yeah. That even just that juxtaposition of roles and, and, <laughs> and people. obscure political and figures from history. So, what, so Gary how, Hart what? was the front runner, and that's hence the name of the film, The Front Runner, for the 1988, 1988 Democrat 
uh, nomination for the presidential race. This is like, this is pretty random so far, yeah. And he was a real, really, you know, strong candidate, smart, well-connected senator. Handsome, can ha- tap dance. Extremely handsome. Casting. Charming. Yeah, that's right. Can sing show tunes. Um, all that had it, had it all going on, but bit of a pants man. Yeah. Um, and there was just tons of rumours doing the rounds of the campaign and it stemmed from he'd gone to a party in Florida on a boat called Monkey Business. Why did they – oh, my God. Why are they always uh, brilliantly named these oh, sort of, like, I know. bit I part know. playing boats and things? I know. Like that, um, you know, um, with Jeff Bezos, the publisher is called, you know, Willie or <laughs> – Pecker. Oh, like, oh, like Anthony Weiner. Yeah, that's like what I'm thinking had too. To be um, so now living in a Bronx halfway house. Guys. Oh God! Yeah, he's been released from prison. Weiner so, will be back though. <laughs> um, yeah, he's halfway back to significance. Sorry, um, I keep so, trampling all over this narrative. <laughs> so Gary Hart goes on the monkey business boat, picks up a woman named Donna Rice, who he then has a bit of a fling with. Lots of rumours going around the campaign and uh, some journos from I think it's the Miami Herald. He, he gets asked about it in a Washington Post interview and yeah. it, it asks if he's, you know, faithful or something like that and he basically takes a lot of offence and he says, um, you know, I'm boring. If people want to know just how boring I am, follow me around and there's nothing to see here, blah, blah, blah. So the Miami Herald takes him up on the offer. They stake out his house. <gasps> they see this woman coming and going, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so then he's sort of exposed and – it's really – it was one of the first um, cases in American politics where somebody's private life was yeah. publicly reported right. and it sort of did change the rules around. Yeah. Um, because there were plenty of Yeah, and they were treated – the were... pollies were treated then more like celebrities rather than, you know, that yeah. it was a separate sort of thing and the private life was private. And so Gary Hart's thing was this is irrelevant. Like yeah. why why is this getting reported? It's, and it's unprecedented. And it was unprecedented. Anyway, he was he had to withdraw from the race, couldn't yeah. run and all of the rest of it. Um, and so it sort of explores – it's interesting watching it in the context of today, um, you know, and how things have changed so much, I guess, you know, even in that sort of 20 years or so, 30 years. Um, and – yeah, it's a good. It's an interesting film that just explores oh, a lot I of that sort of nuance, and it's, an, it's a very notable moment in American political history. So, um, yeah, that's so. I'm glad somebody made a film about that. How random, but also brilliant. Um, I was just reading a bit about Hugh Jackman yesterday, and he'd gone and actually stayed with the Hearts and met Gary Hart, no. and sort of sat down with him, and you know had a talk about it and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, that no, was very, very interesting. Oh, that's very cool. Have hmm. you, have you, by the way, seen um, Vice? No, but I'm dying to. Yeah. Have you? Oh, we should try and sneak out and see it. I'd love to, but I just my windows for sneaking out and getting to stuff are so oh, no. minor. I could fake. You could pretend that I was an important interview. <laughs> People would know, though, wouldn't they? Um, right. So I've just got back from the Adelaide Fringe. Yes. Um, where I did uh, a kind of show that was about um, just. Um, Slightly decoding the bizarre state of Australian politics. I did mm-hmm. one with Christopher Pine and one with Penny Wong, mm-hmm. both very good. Yes, you know, just being able to talk to someone for a whole hour, you get so you get you can really get a lot more stuff than you can. And so respect. one hour each. Yeah, yeah. And um, did Christopher just own the room like he always does? Yeah, the white those... microphone descended for oh, sure. Everyone, he he just yeah. even if you go, I think to things like that, and you think, oh, Christopher Pine, I don't like him. By the end of it, you're like, oh, Christopher Pine, he's hilarious. He is pretty funny. He's um, a very very good raconteur. And the old Penny Wong got a few. Yeah, she's very funny too, actually. Although you wouldn't necessarily know it from watching her in estimates. Um, she told this really interesting story about um, we were talking about 2009, where she was, of course, 
uh, charged by Kevin Rudd to negotiate the carbon pollution reduction scheme, as it yeah. was called. Um, and remember, she did actually forge an agreement, um, yeah. which they signed with, with Malcolm Turnbull, who then was um, – uh, defenestrated by his party. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we don't have a climate policy, guys. So there you go, the 10 years history in 10 seconds. Yeah. But she said, look, the thing is about negotiation is that it's got to be a negotiation. I mean, like a lot of – she said, I'm surprised by how many people in politics do not actually understand what how to negotiate. Is. Yeah, that's a really she said, good point. Like, the most important thing that you do at the beginning of a negotiation is you work out – where you just will not move at all, mm. and then everything else you then start talking about. And she said, like, um, a few of the negotiators that they sent me over were just kind of like people who want to sit there and bark at you about why you're stupid to be, you know, uh, yeah. sticking by this particular thing, which mm. she said is like worse than useless. And she said that, well, I mean, when we went, to, sat down to negotiate the emissions trading scheme, I mean, the first person Turnbull sent me was, was Greg Hunt, and he just, I just couldn't. Uh, so I rang up Turnbull and I said, send me someone else. <laughs> I don't know, just this sort of image of her ring. I was saying, bring me another man. This one doesn't work. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Anyway, uh, so but while I was there, I went to this, this in Adelaide, I mean, which just goes off at this time of year. It's just such a good place to be. Um, or For the Fringe, there's this installation – um, series along the banks of the uh, River Torrens, sort of across the river from the university on a um, piece of land imaginatively, imaginatively titled Pinky Flat, although it's neither pink nor flat. And um, But anyway, it's such a beautiful thing to walk through at night because mm-hmm. it's um, it's uh, a lot of light-based art- artworks and sound. So mm-hmm. you're walking along and there's this incredible soundscape of um, native animals and then there's this incredible um, work, which is um, the whole thing is called Yabara, Gathering of Light. And the mm-hmm. one that I'm particularly talking about is called Kawamela, mm-hmm. uh, Water Screen. So what they have done is they've shot this beautiful footage of um, Indigenous dancers and just one dancer, there's a, a, one with a man and one with a woman, and they project it onto this um, – spray of water Mm. so it's projected onto sort of a mist Mm -hmm. and so it takes on this incredibly um it's all it's very clear but it takes on this really nebulous sort of quality wow that sounds awesome and it's it's huge so it's like much bigger than life size anyway absolutely beautiful um and while i was in adelaide i also went to the art gallery of south australia which is a really interesting gallery these days it's very different from the way it was when I was growing up, it was quite old fashioned and, you know, you'd have this sort of like big room of sort of Dutch masters. Yeah, yeah. lots of (laughs) Heisens and it was all pretty kind of, um, you know, they're great stuff, but it was pretty, I don't remember it really changing that much, but they've done this massive rehang, which I really love, which is sort of thematically gathered. Mm -hmm. So they've got this wing that's about movement and it's this, up on this big wall, they've got all of these paintings of waterfalls creating a sort of a waterfall down the wall. Oh, wow. And then at the bottom of it, they've got 
Tom Roberts's Breakaway. Mm. So you know how like Breakaway, which is Tom Roberts' most famous painting, um, is usually it's kind of stuck in with paintings that are about national identity and, you know, pre-federation and, you know, the way that artists like Roberts contributed to this sort of feeling of national um, uh, values and our image of ourselves. But here it's about movement, so you kind of stop thinking about what Tom Roberts was sort of doing in terms of national identity and you start looking at the way that the painting moves. And it is like a waterfall, but it's horses, you know. Wow. And um, beasts. And so, yeah, it's just a really interesting thing. Um, And they've got this other like little collection of um, Australian Impressionists, like little, little works, and they've put them in this sort of salon hang arrangement where they just look beautiful as a collection. Right. Um, anyway, I love it. It's um, oh, it's really interesting. Great. And there's this amazing work that I went to see um, while I was there, which takes up a whole room. And it's called Absence Embodied by an art, a Japanese artist called Chiharu Shiota. And you'd love this. It is a whole room that is fully um, or largely occupied by a huge sort of web woven painstakingly on site by the artist using 180 kilometres of red wool. And so (laughs) it's just – it's like a mad spider has gone to work and it's so strange because it takes up the whole room and just so beautiful. It's Mm. really, really beautiful. Um, And how long is all this going to be there for? Because I am actually in Adelaide soon for the Adelaide Writers. Okay, so it's there till I think Um, mid-March. The Yabara is there till – yeah, let me see. I think I've got details here somewhere. Oh, till the 17th of March. So you've got plenty of time. Oh, great. Heaps of time. Cool. And and I think that the Chiharu – the – Wool artwork is – I think it's been acquired by the gallery. Oh, okay. So I think it will be there for, um, yeah, indefinite. It would be bloody um, difficult to remount elsewhere, let me tell you. Speaking of having heaps of time, we don't. I know, um, I know. So I let me have your body language you've been kind of like – you're like a preschooler <laughs> needing a wee. i got to get up to my um, day job. Uh, okay, let's have one minute each to talk about one final thing. Oh, come on. Um, I know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, Can I do it while uh, you, you do make it first. Up your you okay. do it first. Let me look at the time, see how long I've got. Okay. I'm talking about the Bureau. It's on SBS On Demand. It is a French spy thriller, tensest thing I've watched since The Americans. Oh. I'm not as invested in them as I was in Philip and Elizabeth, but I'm pretty invested. And in fact, in an episode last night for the first time, it's in season three, I was talking aloud like I used to with The Americans just oh, going, love this I'm is so pleased not for you. good. <laughs> so what's it about? Quickly. The Bureau. Um, yeah. It is about people who work in the French equivalent of the CIA, mm. um, the handlers, the agents out in the field. And it's just, it's, I guess it's Subtitles? a sort of... Uh, subtitled, yep. The premise of it is that um, Malatru, who's a, who's the uber, uber, super, super mastermind agent, has been undercover in Syria for six years. He's just arrived home in Paris. When you have ending your fake identity, you're not meant to keep any contact into your old world. He's been in love with a woman as part of his cover, but he actually is in love with her and he does want to keep in touch. Uh, and so he's using his super agent skills to try to do that. But, okay. you know, it's sort of – it's it's one of those slow unravelling type things. It is absolutely fantastic. Oh, God, all right. Okay, Loved it's it. on my list. Um, okay. I My one minute is I'm going to talk about uh, Carly Finlay's book, Say Hello, which is just a gorgeous book. Um, I really like Carly. She's a really smart woman. She um, – 
um, is a great, great advocate for um, dis- disability in, in Australia. This is the story of her life. She was born with, with ichthyosis, which is um, a kind of like a condition that affects her skin, very painful and makes her look different. So she talks about being facially different. Look, it's such a generous book. I mean, she is a very generous woman. She will go anywhere and talk and, you know, she is – um, indefatigable in her consciousness raising, but she's also just so funny. Like, and the book is really funny, and um, it is not only a real page turner, but it's also like a really useful. I feel like she's written the book to um, fend off the stupid questions that people ask her, and I feel like it's an act of great generosity to do that because you feel like by the end of the book she's spent a lot of her time answering people's questions on the bus or um, dealing with um, people's children's reaction to her and stuff, and um, it's a real gift, this book, and it's, um, it's it, there's some very funny stories in it. Even the titles say hello. Yeah. Very generous. Yeah, right. That's yeah. her advice. It's like, you know, maybe before you jump into all the like, what happened to your face and all this sort of stuff, Maybe just say hi. Like, hi. <laughs> person here, hello. And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye. <laughs> I know. You've been busting to get out of here. I just said one last thing. No, I'm just, I'm just razzing you now. I've got nothing else to say. For more, you can head to chat10looks3.com where you'll find information about everything we've discussed in this episode. Click on the link Bedside Table to purchase books we've discussed. If you scroll down the homepage, you can also sign up for our newsletter, which has heaps of interesting extra things to read, watch or listen to. And sometimes the website even has merchandise to buy and information about live shows around Australia. You can follow Chat10Looks3 on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening. 